chapter 13. And there's a Sunday school for the little guys today. Michelle is back there waiting for you. Matthew 13. I'm just going to read 1 to 9 to get us to the text. Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell in the rocky soil, where they did not have much, on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil, and produced grain, some 100, some 60, and 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And right before we pray, i got to give you just a little testimony of God's goodness last week. You know that Suzanne, uh, who's been coming to our church, brought her mother last week. And so on the way out, I was talking with them when they were on the way out. And her mother was in tears that she found a good church. Just figured I'd tell you that. The lady was literally crying and in thankfulness that God let Suzanne be here with us. I thought you want to know that. My mom's moving to Pennsylvania. So she was hoping that we might know the church down there. And so I was looking some things up. And so anyway, praise the Lord. And keep Suzanne in prayer. I think she has off this week and she was asking if there's extra Bible studies, and you know how she is. So praise the Lord, there is a ladies' Bible study Thursday on. And that to you later. So take advantage of that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand your word. It seems like the most important thing in life is that we understand it and put it into practice. Help us to do that today by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. When your doctor tells you that you need a stress test, a lot of times you get stressed out because it's talking about your heart, right? You know what a stress test is, don't you? You get in that treadmill? You could call it an exercise stress test. And what it does, it makes your heart pump faster and harder, and it reveals if you have a blood flow problem. So get on the treadmill. It'll check, you know, it'll see if you have a heart rhythm problem, a blood pressure problem. It diagnoses uh, coronary heart disease. Some people, when they take a stress test, they get busy doing it. In some cases, very rare, some people have even died. But what it does is it reveals the state of your heart, the condition of your heart, right? By the way, before we talk about our spiritual heart, getting to. Let me talk about your physical heart for a second. You know, in, in all my years, I've thought a lot about nutrition and exercise and for many reasons. It started really with one course at college on nutrition. But take care of your body because it's a temple of and you want to use it for God's glory, right? So I went to WebMD. You know, you type in on the internet. A couple things, a couple practical pointers. Eat healthy. And anything I ever read says fruits, Vegetables, poultry, fish, nuts, those kind of things. Major on that. Any, any way you read. Probably that kind of diet would help any one of us. Secondly, it always says, anywhere I read, to get active, 30 minutes a day of your heart pumping faster, whether it's walking, bicycle, swimming, whatever it happens to be. Keep moving, and especially with the beautiful weather that we're having now, I recommend it to you. If you can. Even if somebody has to wheel you around, let them, they'll get more exercise and you'll get some fresh air. <laughs> Try to stay at a healthy weight. Quit smoking. Oh, no, 
know that one. Most people around here don't smoke. Control your cholesterol, that's one for me. Blood pressure, alcohol in moderation, and manage stress. And I think the best way to do it is do not be anxious for anything but everything by prayer. So get a lot of prayer in, a lot of devotional time in, and that'll help you. So physical training is of some value. That's probably why I don't run marathons, I don't have the time for it. That would be too much exercise. Right? Because you can get too much and you don't balance it with the spiritual. Because I'm going to tell you from what we're going to study, your spiritual heart condition is the most important. Right? Isn't that top? Yep. According to Jesus. He doesn't say much about physical exercise, though he got a lot by walking a lot. Isn't that interesting? They weren't driving, they weren't driving Toyota Priuses. They were walking. Camels maybe, even when you're on a horse or a camel, you get exercise just from your body moving. Aren't there some exercises just stand on something and go, nee, 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 nee. that's not my kind of exercise. In fact, when I went to the Deer Indian family's house, they had one of those things just going up and down. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I couldn't last on it that long. I didn't like going up and down. But anyway. And isn't the most important thing in life how receptive you and I are to God's Word? Isn't that tough? Take a James 1. James chapter 1, verse 21. James says this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Yeah. Receiving God's word saves people. Saves people from their sin. So the most important thing in life is to be open to God's truth. Don't harden your heart when you hear truth. We need to sometimes warn our unbelieving friends. Not to harden their hearts. Doesn't it say in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3? Today, if you hear his voice, do not what? Do not harden your hearts. It's in there, a couple places. I like John chapter 1, because it talks about Jesus. It talks about him being the light of the world, and it talks about people receiving him and not receiving him. I'm going to read that. Because this is what it's all about. Hopefully all of us have received Christ as Lord and Savior, and now our job is to help others. So I, I love John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. Who's his own? Jewish people. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. Tragic. His own people did not receive him. But, but, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen? So it's so important that people receive him. Spiritual heart, right? You receive Christ, you become one of his children. And then all your life, you have the benefit of God's word and receiving truth really every day. And when we believe in Jesus, we have his spirit and we're able to understand his word. Like I've told many people, before I was really saved, you know, I could read the Bible and understand some things, but when I was saved, I really understood it and it was really in my heart, my mind, and in my life. And I cared about what it said, I wanted to do what it said, you know what happens when you get saved. And then you're able to even understand the harder things in the Bible, like the parables. Some parables are easier, some are harder. Um, but in Jesus' time, to the people that rejected him, like the religious leaders, they wouldn't be able to understand the parable. And to some extent, that was on purpose. And to some extent, it's even merciful for God to do that because if somebody's rejected him and is not going to receive him, why should they get more truth and reject more truth? The more you reject, the more you're accountable, right? The more you're accountable for it's interesting. Very interesting, these parables, and especially the one we're going to look at today. What in the world is a parable anyway? It's really like a story. It's a comparison. The word literally is to lay something by the side of something else throwing something alongside something else. 
So it's a story that's going to illustrate spiritual truth. So the story is something maybe natural that Jesus says, like we're going to look at today. The parable of the soils, parable of the hearts, whatever you want to say. He's the king of hearts, by the way, right? It's something alongside something else. Which, if you didn't know the interpretation, it would just seem like something else. Right? And they usually have one major point. Sometimes in church history, people have allegorized the parables and came up with weird stuff. As I said before, to hardened hearts, the truth will be concealed. To open hearts, well, what's going to happen? The truth is going to be revealed. What the parable means. Jesus is literally, in our account, going to take his disciples, after he talks to a crowd, he's going to take his disciples and tell them what the parable meant. Concealed from the masses, revealed to his guys. The parables here in this chapter are mostly about the kingdom of God. Mostly, I think there's eight of them. Seven or eight. That's how you break them down. Now, the subject of the kingdom of God, I have to tell you that this was on the minds of the disciples. They were thinking about the kingdom of God. Remember, Jews thought that when Jesus came or when the Messiah came, he's going to set up that visible earthly kingdom right then and there. But he didn't. So in Acts chapter 1, still by way of introduction, in Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Christ, he's with his disciples, and they're going to ask him a question. Notice the question they ask in Acts chapter 1. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Even his own guys are asking that question. Why are they asking that? Don't they know he's going to die the first time? He's not setting up the visible earthly kingdom. He's going to die for the sins of the world. And there's going to be a delay. His kingdom is later. But look what he tells these guys. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He's almost saying, like, don't worry about that now. But you guys will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the earth. I think he would tell us the same thing now. He would tell us to witness our heads off. In the time period that we're in now, which may be closer to the end, he would tell us to witness like crazy. Basically, had a plan for his disciples. They had to spread this truth about Jesus around, didn't they? The first guys to preach the gospel as it was. The visible earthly kingdom was going to be delayed. And make no mistake, it's been promised in the Bible, even to Israel. And he's going to set it up. When he comes back in second coming glory and wars against his enemies, he's going to gather his people and set up an earthly reign from Jerusalem. There's so many verses you really can't get around them. A lot of people try to spiritualize the verses to say it's not really this, it's not really that, the wolf's really not going to lay down with the lamb, and on and on and on. I can't see how you can just kind of Partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. I like that one. Romans 11. What does that mean? What does that mean in Zechariah 14 when he's going to come down from heaven and his feet are going to land on a mount of olives? Whose feet? He's talking about the Lord there. He's landing on a mount of olives and it splits. Like, like, what are you going to say that is? It's a spiritualized way. Allegorize it or whatever they're doing. So his first coming was to die for the sins of the world, provide the way of salvation, to make a way for people to be part of a spiritual kingdom. Is there a spiritual kingdom now? Yes, there is. We're a subject, but to the world, it's. It, I hate to use the word invisible because we're here. We're not invisible, right? But the world don't know about us. Oh, you're part of God's invisible spiritual kingdom? They might think we're weird if we say that. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm part of God's invisible spiritual kingdom. That sounds weird, right? But you are. The king has come, and if you trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, you're one of his, one of his subjects already. 
Jews, they didn't really know about this spiritual kingdom between the first and second coming. That's one thing that tripped them up. Did they trip them up? Yeah. They were thinking something different about his first coming. They wanted that literal kingdom to be set up right then and there. So Jewish sentiment in the book of Matthew, which we're in, Jewish sentiment is going against Jesus. They don't like what he's saying. They don't think he's Messiah. He's not doing it the way they thought Messiah would do it. He's not saying what they think Messiah should have said. And so they end up not receiving the word, especially the Pharisees, right? We can speak for them. They blasphemed what? They blasphemed the Holy Spirit, as we said in past weeks. Now we're going to verse 1 of Matthew 13. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So picture him sitting in a boat and a whole bunch of people listening, standing. Wait a second, why do pastors have to stand and people in the church have to sit? Or sit? Why should get a chair and come? That's the way it was back then if you were listening to the message, right? That would have been worth standing for, wouldn't it? Jesus' message? And then now, come to verse 3. The parable of the sower. He's going to give the parable of the sower at first with no interpretation. No interpretation. Watch. By the way, I'm going to have to take two weeks on this. This is incredible. What a section. He told them many things in parables, stories, illustrations, analogies, if you will. He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. So what does it sound like? Seeds are falling on some kind of hard path, but it can't get in the dirt. It's, does, it didn't germinate, right? That's what it sounds like. So the birds could easily swipe them away. Seeds don't penetrate. Birds sometimes are very positive, nice little birdies. Sometimes they're not. They can do damage to your vegetable garden. They can pick up seeds. Sometimes the ancients thought of them as negative. So what's Jesus doing? Is this an agricultural lesson? I thought he's a spiritual leader. Now the people listening, some are not going to get it at all, right? They're just going to think, oh yeah, as we've seen that happen, birds came. And... This is, a, is this a seed germination seminar? A study in soils by Jesus. Well, the people that know him and are, have been open to him, they know that he tends to speak spiritual truth, right? He always uses these topics to illustrate a spiritual point. But he's not giving that to anybody right now with the crowds. He's not given the spiritual part. So, verse 5. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. What's happening here? You might think there's a lot of rocks in the soil, but everything that I read seems to suggest there was some kind of a limestone rock bed, and the soil above it was thick. But anyway, it's so rocky that, again, the roots really can't grow deep. So the plant pops up quick, the sun scorches it, it's gone. Pretty easy to understand, right? By the way, I had a blessing from my new neighbor. You might remember, well, usually my Craigslist things are good, but this Craigslist folly, when somebody was advertising a whole bunch of dirt they could bring to you, topsoil. So anyway, in the past, all this, I elected to have a guy come, and he brought it, and it wasn't topsoil. Yeah, rocks and all kinds of junk in it. And then, when I didn't know, he dumped another load that I didn't even want. So you might remember I had these piles of dirt, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to help me to... It didn't. But a fellow from the Portuguese congregation that meets on Sundays at 4.30, he was gracious enough to push him to the side. So at least it was to the side. So now I had a mound there. My brand new neighbor, Michelle and I get to know who Errol knows now. Errol made a bridge to the neighbor. She was like, can I take that soil away? I said, yes, please, thank you so much. Can you take the soil away? And they were able to use it to fill in her backyard. And so now, 
I have a place where I can plant seed. Funny enough, as I'm studying this, same time. And by the way, in that dirt is a lot of rocks. So I'm raking rocks out of that thing day and night, I'm, and I'm putting seed down. I became a sower. I became a sower of seed. So let's pray and hope something grows. I'm not the best botanist and whatever else I'm not, agriculturalist. In fact, on my, in fact this week, I'm, um, as you know, I have a, um, a board meeting at TLC that she and I are going to Tennessee, TLC, Tennessee. So anyway, these first couple days now, I'm going to try to really take care of the property. I never get to it because I'm, I'm a people man, but now I'm going to become a property man for a couple days, a vacation time and do some things. Man, if you have some wisdom for me, I've had to grow things, let me know. If you want to give me some wisdom, let me know. Anyway, I say all that to say, I hope the rocks don't get in the way of my seedlings germinating. Right here with this rocky ground, again, the plants wither away, they grow. Number seven, or should I say, uh, verse seven. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Now the commentaries went either way in this. They were either saying there were certain plants that had certain kind of roots that would mess up the other roots of the new plant, or, as you would imagine, some kind of a plant that would wrap itself around and choke the plant. So whichever way you go doesn't matter. The point is, the plant's gone. And then Jesus said, and again, he's speaking to the crowds by the beach. He's not giving them the spiritual interpretation of this. You know what it is because you've studied the Bible. You know that Jesus is the sower, right? The seed is the truth. The soil is human heart and minds, right? But Jesus is not saying it to the crowds. Look at verse 8. The seeds fell in the good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He was ears to hear, let me hear. Wouldn't you love to plant, want to make a plant? You get a hundred of them, or a hundred tomatoes even. This is a pretty good yield, isn't it? By the way, when Sheila and I went to the, um, what do they call those places? The nursery, the one up on Route 112, kind of near where John lives. Um, I got a hold of four little tomato plants. I'm going to try. Try to grow some tomatoes, too. All right? And let's hope it yields. Now, isn't this interesting that the only soil that's really good is, number, is the last one, right? The fourth one. By the way, I just thought of it too. You and I are going to tell a lot of people about Jesus, kind of throw the seed out, and there's going to be various responses. So just know that. So there might be negative, 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 but man, when you hit, by God's grace, a positive heart that receives the word of God and gets saved, there could be somebody that comes to this church and ends up winning many people to Christ and on fire, and that could happen. Some Sunday school teacher won Billy Graham to Christ. Think about it, there's a lot of stories like that. Well, I'm going to get that wrong. What if I can want somebody to Christ? I'll try to get that. There's a, a string of who won who to Christ that's kind of an amazing string of people, and everybody ended up doing a major work for the Lord. But right now, Jesus is just, it sounds like an agricultural lesson. But now look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. So we looked at first the parable of the sower with no interpretation. Now if you go to verse 10, it's the purpose of the parables. But look what happens. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 13. Then Jesus' disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? That's a fair question, isn't it? Why do you tell these guys stories? They're not going to understand Jesus. It's more difficult to understand the way you're doing it now, Jesus. Look at his answer, verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets. Oh, what does another translation say? Mysteries? Anybody get mysteries? Mysteries of, of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, all mysteries. But to them it has not been given. Wow. That's heavy, dude. To you, disciples, to, to his disciples, they had the privilege of knowing God's secrets. The things hidden before the foundation of the world. The things that were not even understood fully in Old Testament times. 
not fully revealed in the Old Testament to the Jews. That you, you and I have these same privileges, don't we? Man, you know, half the world is trying to figure out who they are, where they are, what they are. According to evolution, there's pure evolution, no God, we're a sack of chemicals. To others, we're just an animal. No wonder why people act like animals. Because to some people, that's all we are. You're just a glorified animal to them. Because the secrets of the kingdom of God have not been revealed to them. God's mysteries. If you're saved, if you know Christ is Lord and Savior, aren't you and I blessed? Amen. I was going to say that later, but I can't help myself. I was thinking, as I was studying this, we're so blessed. Shouldn't we kind of act like we're more blessed than we are? Sometimes we're not. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And I'm not saying you go around video all the time. But isn't it some kind of a deep joy, especially in the chaotic world we live in, that we know Jesus, we're saved, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we're guaranteed to go to, to heaven, we have this inheritance that nobody can steal. I mean, what's better? What's better? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Since the Jews rejected the message, starting with the Pharisees and many others, they're not going to understand these secrets. The way Jesus is telling those stories, they're not going to get the interpretation. I had to camp on this idea of secrets and mysteries. Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus is going to explain more in Matthew 13 about how the kingdom of heaven expands. Jesus and the truth about him is the pearl of great price. A man sells everything to get it. You know, the things that we know are so precious. Another one of them is, and Jews didn't fully understand this, how Jew and Gentile would be together worshiping Messiah as equal brothers and sisters in Christ, equally having the Holy Spirit. They did not understand that. Go to Ephesians 3 for a second. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. This is what the Apostle Paul's going to say. This is what he's going to say. Remember, as you're turning there, Jew and Gentile do not get along. Just like Palestinians and Jews are not getting along right now. It's like that. It was like that back then. Gentiles were separated from, from the Lord. They were alienated from Israel. They were without hope, without God. They ate things the Jews thought were, were terrible against God. They were separate people with an animosity between them and an enmity between them. But what brought them together? Jesus Christ brings everybody together. He broke down the dividing wall, it says in Ephesians. You remember that text. And I believe he's able to break down things, the walls that are between anybody. Because anybody who gets saved should be a brother and sister to anybody else who gets saved. Ephesians 3.3 3. How the mystery, here's what Paul says, he calls it a mystery, not me. How the mystery was made known to, to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He's talking about the same subject or what? which has not been made known to sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what is verse 5 saying? That truth was not fully made known. In the Old Testament, it wasn't. It's just the sons of men in other generations. But it's now been revealed to the apostles and prophets. Oh, we're so blessed, aren't we? We know more than they knew. And they were longing for it. We read another verse later, it says they're longing for it. The Old Testament prophets were longing to really understand even what they were writing, even what God was inspired them, inspiring them to write. Verse 6 says, This mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Jew and Gentiles together. For the first time like that in Christ. Two groups from who at odds. Gentiles who were far away had been brought, brought near by the blood of the blood of Jesus Christ. I like what John MacArthur said about this. He said, Paul disclosed the truth 
that not even great prophets understood within the church. Composed of the saved, I talk about the, the church, composed of the saved since Pentecost, in one united body, there would be no racial, social, or spiritual distinctions. We should set the tone. The church of Jesus Christ should set the tone for racial harmony. Because we should have the best. Based on what I'm reading here, we should have the best. The world should learn from us how to treat each other. The Christian, should get, the Christian church should get along so well that the world is going to ask us why it's so good here. Because Galatians 3.28, Apostle Paul in another book, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Spiritual oneness. Spiritual oneness. All equal members of the body of Christ have the Holy Spirit equally, and you go down the line. Another pastor told me about a bad story. He grieved me to hear this. I heard about a church in the South, a good Bible teaching church. And then a good young pastor went there from a good Bible school. And he was, uh, everything was going okay. And he was inviting people from across town who were of another race than the people in the church. He was inviting blacks into a white church. And then he was talking with the leaders, and he said, you know, like, what's wrong with this? They had some kind of problem with it. And so, to that pastor's credit, he just said, look, either we welcome everybody into this church, or I'm going to resign. They had him resign. Just heard that story the other day. I was speaking to a brother in Tennessee, because I'm going to Tennessee. And maybe we'll be able to worship on a Sunday. That story grieved my heart. I can't even understand that. And it doesn't matter which way it would be, white, black, Spanish, Chinese, everybody should be welcome. Wouldn't you agree? Everybody who walks in this door is welcome. If they want to come for the Word of God. I would never want a limitation on one kind of people who are Jew. And I read back in the Jesus movement days, oh, I'll give you a challenge. There was one time that ten people barefooted Ten hippies came barefooted to the church with their Bibles sat in front row. So what are we going to do? Tell them to leave and get their shoes on? Or just give them the word of God that day? And then what do you do toward the future? Just something I want you to think about. I'd be happy the hippies were here. And by the way, Chuck Smith was happy that the hippies came to his church and sat in the front row. And they had their Bibles. Something to think about. How to get an answer? Oh, mysteries! Another mystery. The rapture, apparently. Go to First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. The rapture was a mystery. That was not delineated fully in the Old Testament. I know, you know what? Enoch was shot up, and you know Elijah and all that. But that was not a big teaching on the rapture. You wouldn't get that. You would ask a Jewish guy back then, he's not going to say, yeah, we're going to be raptured out. Nope. So the Apostle Paul calls it a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. We're so blessed to know these things. Actually, we're so blessed to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, so we'll be part of the rapture. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, when a trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. When's that going to happen? That could happen any day now. If we got it right, it's before the tribulation. If we got it right, it's before Antichrist comes. The world leader who people's gonna, who people are going to think is a good world leader the Antichrist. If we're right, the rapture could be any time. It's imminent. The Apostle Paul, it's another topic for another day, but the way he wrote it made it seem like it's imminent. Imminent. I can't say that. Imminent. Because he says like, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we who are alive and remain until the coming
coming of the Lord shall not precede those who fall asleep. And then he talks about the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ rising first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with, the cloud, with them in the clouds, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. And we'll always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. I don't think that we have to go through the whole tribulation. That's not such a comfort. Because you'd probably say, you probably talk about tribulation. And it's not any verses saying that you're going to go through no great tribulation. We'll have tribulation in our life. For many tribulations, we must head to the kingdom of God. But I don't see anywhere where it's preparing us for some big tribulation in Antichrist. I don't see it. So you say, well, I mean, and Jesus speaking about rapture in John 14. It's the first time that rapture is mentioned, specifically, by Jesus. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you'll be also. If you really have trusted Jesus, Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's making a place for you. And you're guaranteed to go to heaven. He says he, he's coming back to take you to be where he is. Rapture. All right. Another topic, another day. Get back to Matthew 13, verse 12. We're still talking about the purpose of the parables. Verse 12. For to the one who has, all will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What in the world is that talking about? If you have some, you'll be given more. If you receive the light, God will give you more. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but wasn't that true with Cornelius? What was the deal with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? A centurion, Italian guy, seeking God. It says he was devout, he feared God, he's given to poor people, he's praying a lot. Salvation is all by God's grace. And the grace was on that man. And so what happens? God's going to send the apostle Peter to fill him in on what he needs to know about Jesus. God's going to give him more. There's plenty of stories from salvation history. I think the book Eternity in Their Hearts outlines a lot of these. Where there's people in a place that don't have any Bibles or anything. But by God's grace, they were starting to seek God. And when missionaries finally got to them, they told them, basically, we were seeking the God, and, you know, we knew that he could forgive us, something like that. They knew something about God. Eternity in their hearts. By God's grace. God will send missionaries to places where they're seeking him. He will. But tragically, so if you have some desire for God, He gives you more. But remember what it said in John 1. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. And what some people have is, they don't they have a little bit about the Lord, but they don't really want Him. And God doesn't give Him any more. Don't really want Him. Isn't that kind of what Jesus said? For the one who has will all be given, for he will have an abundance, but for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If God's knocking on the door of your heart, and you're hearing about Jesus Christ, receive him, don't harden your heart. Because the more you reject, the more you harden yourself. I don't know how it works exactly, but it could be the day that you're too far gone, so to speak. Romans 1 seems to suggest that, that at least in ancient times, that people knew about God, but they didn't worship and serve Him as God, and their foolish heart was darkened. You remember that whole section? And they worshiped and served idols, basically, instead of God, and He gave them over to sin. Gave them over. A lot of that had to do with sexual sin. Isn't it interesting? Go to sexual sin of all things. In Matthew 21, Jesus said this to the religious leaders. Matthew 21, 42. Again, same topic of rejecting the truth that they had and then not getting more. Watch this. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Isn't that the issue? rejected the Savior. They rejected the Messiah. He was the cornerstone. 
This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And then Jesus said this, and again, I say tragic. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. You see that? And given to a people producing fruits. Pray for our Jewish friends. May many more get saved now. It's just tragic. The nation doesn't know him yet. Many individual Jews do, but there's a martial army of Israel until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. And God's going to save a large portion. I really believe that. And you know, you contemplate this. You know, predestination, human responsibility, you just, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing, people. Why so many Jews don't know him? He's in charge of all that. I don't know. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Aren't you glad you're one of the foolish things? You and I are one of the foolish things in the world? Amen. And Jesus said, On the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That doesn't sound good. Back to Matthew 13. So why is he speaking in parables? He answers it even further in Matthew 13, 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing do they, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, there's our book that we're studying at night, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Here's the reason. Verse 15. Here's the reason. For this people's heart has grown dull. That's why. Kind of like Pharaoh. Wasn't Pharaoh's heart kind of hardened already? And then what did God do? He hardened it more. Interesting, right? This people's heart has grown dull with their ears. It sounds like a lot of human responsibility here, doesn't it? I don't always know how election and human responsibility jive. I, I don't know if anyone really does, to be honest. That's why theologians have been debating about it for years. All different kind of, on a spectrum. Debating all back and forth so much. I believe strongly, and we believe strongly in sovereignty. But I can't chuck out human responsibility. Jesus doesn't. And he said to Israel, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers the chicks. But you were unwilling. That's an interesting statement. I'm like you. I just try to piece it, you know. And I'm like, oh. His judgments are beyond searching out. I'm like, oh, the end of Romans 11. Who has been in God's counsel anyway? Who has it all figured out? Anybody has it all figured out? You don't have to be in church anymore. Just stay home. You have to check all figured out. You know the Bible properly. Some people act like that. Some pastors are long. I don't act like that. I know about a couple of them. It's like they're the only church. Not true. Not true. That's really bad. Anyway. This people's heart is grown dull. With the ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. They didn't say God closed their eyes. They did. Lest they should hear with the steps, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Now go to verse 16. Third part of the outline, the great blessing of understanding. And this should really, I want this really to hit you. Look what he says to his disciples. Same thing to us, right? We're his disciples. Look at 16. But blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. Don't you praise God for what he did for you? At age 18, a young Chris Pandolfi, he opened up my eyes. Went to church all my life. But at age 18, at college, boom, my eyes were opened up. Jesus died, paid the price for all my sin. I knew about him dying for sin and rising and all that, but it wasn't. They had that little bit by his grace, and he, he gave me more. Boy, did he give me more. I was saved. Do you remember the time when you were saved? Are you blessed? When you were saved, are you still blessed? Count your blessings, brothers and sisters. I don't know what else how to apply to that. Count your blessings. Because look at what he says in 14. Don't you think some more of the Jews would have wanted to know more than they knew? For truly I say to many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Can we make a case for studying the Bible more? 
If it's such a privilege, the mysteries of the kingdom and every other mystery and all God's truth, if it's such a privilege, you don't want to be studying it more? Take advantage of what you got. Like the way Peter said, he made the prophets seem like, you remember 1 Peter chapter 1? The prophets are like being inspired to write about Messiah. And don't you think they're wondering a lot of things like, when's he going to come? What's he going to be like? He's going to suffer, but he's going to set up his kingdom. And it must have been swirling in their heads. They're like, what's going on? They're like, going to sleep at night. 1 Peter 1.10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was about to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. What a mouthful. But bottom line, these guys were contemplating the Messiah and trying to piece it together. And they couldn't really. I mean, Christ is in them, the Spirit of Christ is in them, giving them information about Christ, and they're trying to figure out and they couldn't. We know what they couldn't figure out. So blessed. Oh, you and I are so blessed. Moving right along. And again, we're going to spend a little bit of time. I'll have to do another message on his interpretation. But I want to give you a little bit of it now. And I want you to think about it in the weeks in between. So, now Jesus is going to, the same agriculture lesson but he's going to give the spiritual understanding of it, right? And it all has to do with soils and hearts. Right? Four different hearts. Four different soils. Just listen. We're going to go through it quick now. Another message, another time. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Now you remember the first soil, right? It just, the dirt was hard. The seeds fell on it, and the birds just ate it. It was gone, right? Look at this. Look at the spiritual interpretation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Isn't this a shame? And you know, you meet people like this. I was in that nursery the other day. There was a Christian guy there, and he he said to somebody, do you know Jesus? You know what the guy said? I don't want to talk about that at all. It's a hard heart, right? And some people have that kind of heart. You know, very rarely do people, uh, people not accept a Bible or a Jesus film. I don't have one up here. Um, but some do. Not accept it. And you know what? Their heart is hard. For whatever reason. Maybe they got evolution in their mind. Maybe they have had a hard time growing up. And they feel like God has given them a bad, but they don't realize that God is the only one that can help them out of that bad background. To be forgiven and to have joy in Christ. You know what I'm saying? But the heart is hard. And I'm not going to say much more because we're going to say it another week, but the devil so easily snatches away the truth. And I mean, that's what he said. Snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Interesting, right? Look at the next word. And we can call that the hard heart. Hard heart. And I ask you today, do you have a hard heart against God? Probably not since you're here. You're not going to come to church and stay mad and not want to hear the Bible. We've had that on occasion. Let's look at the next one, number two. Superficial heart. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who gives the word and merely receives it with joy. Maybe he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, what happens to the guy? Or the lady? And immediately fall away. You remember what soil that was, right? The rocky soil. So the soil's not deep, and the seed is planted in, sprouts up quick, and the sun scorches it. Here, people can have an initial joy. And I can't help but think sometimes of big crusades, which some people really get saved at crusades and some don't. It makes me think of some of the 
people preaching on TV, they do it wrong. I'll tell you why. Now, talk about Jesus, all right? Maybe they need to give more information, whatever, but I'll give them that, right? They talk about Jesus. And then they say so quickly. I mean, it's a quick thing, like, pray, Jesus, forgive me, save me, blah, blah, and I'm really quick. And then they say, I know you've been saved. Now, if the Holy Spirit's working on the TV viewer, they could get saved. But these guys are so quick, whereas they're like, pray, Jesus, forgive me, come to my heart, amen. And if you pray that prayer, you're saved. Now, they don't realize that. Don't they realize this parable? That somebody could be hearing about Jesus, and especially sometimes the way they preach it, that you're going to be prosperous and this and that. Jesus will help you with everything. It's going to be a lot of joy and fun. And, and he could forgive your sins. But they mix it up. So now the person hearing is like, man, that sounds pretty good, man. We've got a pandemic going on, and I don't want to go to hell. And I raise my, you know, and you know what I'm saying. Somebody could just jump at it and be this soil. And I guess what I'm trying to say, some people preach it away where they're going to have people whose heart is like this respond. We don't want to do that. Because you know what happens to these people? When their family goes against them, or whatever, they'll be shown not to be a true believer. They'll flake. And we've seen it in the church. We've seen it in the college ministry where people seem to be in the group and then you meet the guy or the lady and they're like, they don't know the Lord Jesus from Adam. Really. They're just going back into sin, into the world, and you don't see them anymore. It's sin. So, and again, we need to pray for people. Can people who are in these states still be saved? By God's grace. The Apostle Paul seemed to be one that was pretty much against the Lord, right? And then he gets radically saved. So there's hope for people. Let's go to next one. 22. The divided heart. As I read 22, it seems that this is still an unsaved person because it comes to nothing. But I think we as believers learn a lot about it, even in our saved life, to not let these same things choke the Bible in our life. Don't let things choke your spiritual life. Pandemic can choke you up. I know some people haven't left their house. Christian and not Christian. And it's choking them. They're not doing like anything. How long will this go? We don't do nothing. Most Christians. How long? How long can you go? As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And again, that was a seed that falls into the ground. I don't know if you ever had in your property where some weeds or something have destroyed your plants. It happens, right? That's why you got a weed. We have a brother who's been weeding. <coughs> gotta get rid of the weeds. Wasn't the rich young ruler like this? Jesus has this conversation with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is kind of priding himself for keeping the commandments. So Jesus gives him a challenge, kind of pointing to the idol of his life, his heart. If you wish to be perfect, go and sell all your possessed gifts to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me, you have treasure in heaven. And the guy went away sorrowful. What? You're going to give up eternal life for some stuff on earth? People do it. People do it. You can't take any of that. Your most prized possession, you can't take. I know on TV, it's popular to say you got to buy gold, you got to buy gold. You don't get gold stocked up in your house, in your room. The moment you die, where's the gold? <laughs> it's all stocked up with somebody else. Didn't it say Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven? That's a better plan. I'm just telling you. He said, best investments. Best investments. And I can't help but think of Simon, the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. He wanted to obtain the gift of God with money. As a guy interested in the Lord, it was really just for money. And then he was rebuked thoroughly, wasn't he? Twenty-three. The fruitful heart. This is a good heart. This is what you and I are. This is what we want to be, even more so, right? The 
This is the one. This is for us. As for what was sown on the good soil. We're going to preach this again because I want to, those four soils you could spend a lot of time. I want to talk about biblical examples and even get some real life examples of each of the soils. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And indeed, here it is. There's fruit. Amen. And yields in one case a hundredfold, 60, 30. I think Mark has them in opposite order. I'll try to figure out why. I don't know why. Mark's got them in opposite order, 30, 60, 100. I guess it doesn't matter that much. Just get you thinking about it a little bit. When I think of this one, I think of Zacchaeus. Right? The short guy who's up in a tree, who saw Jesus. Jesus comes to his house. And even Jesus said, Salvation's come to his house. And he's repenting of his tax collector sins. And he's going to give back how much? Fourfold. And he's going to give half the goods to the poor. I mean, this guy got it. He's bearing fruit. So I'm 30, 60, 100 fold. I think the Apostle Paul bared a little fruit. Bared a lot of fruit, right? And by God's grace, you and I who know Jesus, bearing fruit. A lot of it has to do with how you live, who you are in Christ, and, and your Christian character, growing, the fruit of the Spirit, and everything. So what do we get from this? Front says is one thing, you're blessed. Just think about it, think about how blessed you are. Anytime you're getting down, why are you down here? Oh, my soul. Put your hope in God, but also put your mind on your blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one. He's given you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1. Secondly, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't this want to, want, want to make you pray for the lost? Do you feel bad for the lost or you don't care? I mean, we can be so imbalanced even in our predestination understanding to say, hey, God's going to say what he's going to say. Even the Apostle Paul didn't say that. He was crying over the Jews that were lost. So you tell me. You can, can you misuse the doctrine of predestination? Yes, you can. That would be one way not to witness and not to care about the lost. That's what they call some famous missionaries. Oh, if God's going to save the heathen, he'll save them. Technically, it's yes. But by the way, God uses means, doesn't he? I forget which famous missionary it was who went to the leadership of his church, and that's what they told him. And he went to that country anyway without their blessing. Don't misuse the doctrine of predestination, please. Apostles Paul even said, I wish myself a curse for the sake of my brothers. I remember crying when I first got saved for relatives. I don't do that now. But I'm trying to get back to that. Shed tears over the lost. Jesus broke it up. I wanted to gather you as a head gathers of chicks, but you weren't willing. Jesus knows about predestination, doesn't he? Throw your seeds everywhere. Say, what do you mean? If, if the word of God is seed, if you can get a New Testament in somebody's hand, is that a good thing? Or what? Yes. There's a bunch of, a bunch of them out there on the table. Take at least one. Come on, try to get them in somebody's hand. We were in the um, Cactus Cafe. And by the way, on some Fridays, any of you men who were available, I went there with Errol and Steve, and I said, you know what, let's not meet at the church somewhere else. Let's meet so we can, we'll talk about stuff and let's, like, evangelize. And it was easy. People walk in with a uniform. You know, I thought somebody worked at the Metro Multicare. I wanted to find out if it's still open. Remember, Jesus with the Samaritan woman, he asked her for what? Water. He started with a drink of water. You sports fans, somebody has a Yankee hat on. Talk about the Yankee. It's so easy. And then... And we bridged the gap. We're from the church across from Target, and pretty soon we got Jesus films in people's hands, and we're talking about the church, and people are excited the church is here. Well, they said she goes to a church in Brooklyn, and she doesn't want to go so far anymore. We just got to keep doing that. Because you know what? Yeah, all the pastors going to, there's three bad soils and only one good. Yeah, but the one good is worth it, right? Yeah, I wish it was one out of four getting saved. <coughs> It's not an exact ratio, that's not the point of the parable, the exact ratio of salvation. People do funny things with the parable. You can't say more than it said. Amen? Well, let's go out. I'm going on vacation now, I gotta plant some seeds in my yard. 
and go to Tennessee and rest and all that. But when I get back, I'm kind of hyped out to evangelize, I'll be honest. The charismatic guy that met is too. He goes up to people. So even if you're not, but you say, oh, but why don't, well, we should be the ones out there then. Let's be out there more than some other people. Right? Can you fault a guy for telling people about Jesus? That God, Jesus did something in his life? Jesus wanted to make his men fishers of what? There's another analogy, fishers of men. 